Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Vision. This is your host, Greg Nielsen, the president and CEO of Nielsen Training and Consulting, where we work with nonprofit organizations all across the country to translate your vision into reality. I want to welcome everybody back to the podcast. We have an exciting episode here that is a really interesting story that I know you're going to find fascinating. And then our topic of conversation is going to be how organizations can increase their impact in grassroots ad advocacy to advance their mission. To join us for the conversation today, I'm pleased to be pleased to welcome Christina McKean. Uh, Christina is the founder of The Elephant Project, and she is someone with a really fascinating story that I know you're going to enjoy hearing about. She's been volunteering and making a direct impact on wildlife and conservation efforts, both here in the United States and abroad for years. She has successfully drafted petitions, protested, created social media campaigns, and helped to amplify and spread awareness of the issues of wildlife conservation, particularly for elephants. Uh, Christina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Christina, tell us a little bit about your own personal history, where this um, connection to wildlife and particularly elephants came from and how it spurred you to form your own organization. Yeah, so I've always been an animal lover and advocate, and um, it really wasn't, you know, of course, I've always loved all animals, but and and elephants, but I was in Thailand um, over 20 years ago, and I saw a baby elephant in the streets of Bangkok, and it was the kind of thing where you could, um, you know, pay a dollar and feed it a banana or you know, take a picture or whatever. And it just seemed so wrong um, when I saw it and I was so disturbed by it that I couldn't not think about it anymore. And, um, you know, that was back before there was social media or anything like that. So I knew it was wrong, but I really didn't know what to do about it. So when I came back to California, I just started, you know, researching what it was all about and why they were in the streets. And then I really found the plight of the Asian elephant was quite a sad one. There's a lot of abuse going on. So, you know, I decided to align myself with other people who were doing the same thing. Um, so I started setting petitions. I got um, involved with a group that was protesting the circus, which really opened my eyes to a lot of the issues. Um, and, but I always felt like I wanted to do something more, but I just didn't know what or how. And I had rescued, um, you know, just a it, it was kind of interesting how this all works, but I rescued a German shepherd from a high kill shelter in LA because he was going to be killed that day. And I was like, I can't have this. Um, and so I brought him home and my husband was like, oh my gosh, another dog. And it's bigger than our house. <laughs> I'll find the perfect home for him, which I did. I kept him. And then I found a couple that had retired that was looking for an older dog and it was the perfect fit. So, but uh, while I was doing that, someone came to me and they were like, they helped me actually get him, get him um, adopted. And they were like, you should do something more. You have a lot of resources, you know, you have a, a career in product development and design. And that was where I was like, you're right. I really need to do something more. So I kind of used my talent and um, I used to be a designer for um, the gap in product development. And I saw my kids playing with stuffed animals one day and I was like, that's it. I'm going to make a stuffed animal to create awareness and funds for elephants. And that's kind of how that whole journey started. Um, it was a really long one, but so well worth it. 
It's always amazing and fascinating to me, Christina, when I talk to leaders of different types of organizations, how often I hear exact some version of exactly what you said, that there was some specific experience in their own past, something that they saw or witnessed or were a part of that they just couldn't walk past anymore. It just lit a fire, ignited something within them that just led to a career choice or led to a series of decisions that shaped their career and shaped the impact that they wanted to have. You mentioned something else that I thought was really interesting, which is when you were first starting out, you aligned with the efforts of other organizations that were already in this space, rather than just immediately launching into forming a new organization. I'm curious, what did you learn as you aligned yourself with those other organizations and got familiar with the the work of conservation and and the work that they were that they were doing yeah i think that's so important well, two parts to that is that i you know i think when you have a calling like that it is so strong that that is what you do you can't people say like well how does this happen i'm like when you have a calling so strong like i did it was like that is what you do. Like you don't have a choice. That is the, you know, destiny or whatever that they make that choice for you. Um, and I think it's really important to align yourself with whatever your cause may be with other people who are doing it, because it also like you can relate to what they're doing and they have good ideas and information. And it's kind of nice to know that you're not alone in this fight and that there's so many other people that support you and have really valid information. And also when I was trying to vet all these different organizations to help fund and raise awareness for it. They had been there or they had known about it. So, you know, there's a lot of power in a community like that, especially when, you know, those people that were really fighting for the elephants that I met initially, they were so passionate and it really helped. It helped me further along what I was doing was right. And there were other people that could kind of support me and they've, it's, you know, I've been close with them ever since. So it's been great. I think it's such an, an, a unique opportunity to learn about the work of others and what is already being done in that space, because it also then helps you see, are there any gaps, right? Before right. I form a new organization, it helps me see, you know, are, are there things that are that could be done through a different organization or in partnership with other organizations? So I really, I love having that experience before you launch out, uh, launch out on Definitely. your own. Yeah. And also, too, you know, you learn from other people what they're doing and what has worked for them and what hasn't. And it's also, you know, nice because people have come to me and said, oh, this group also has a stuffed animal and, or whatever. And I'm like, what's great? We're all fighting the same fight. So it's not a competition. It's we're all on the same page. And that's really comforting to know that there's a lot of people out there that feel your same passion and can help you, too. You know, they always share my posts and, you know, talk to their communities also. So it's it's a great community. And I highly recommend anyone that's going down that path to try to align yourself with people that feel the same way or passionate about you or have resources that you can just talk to them about how they started and what they did. Now, eventually you did go out and form your own organization called The Elephant Project. Tell us a little bit about The, the Elephant Project and the work that you do. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I kind of wanted, I wasn't, I, I felt like I needed to do more than just sign petitions. So it was something that I felt like I could contribute. And I need to say too, like a lot of people, I'm like, I started stuffed animal company because that was kind of what I knew how to do. And I had daughters. And when I worked for the Gap, I was in charge of the tween market. So I felt like I knew that market really well. And also when I protested the circus, I felt like the people that were most affected were the young girls. So I felt like that was my market, but you don't have to start a stuffed animal company to make a difference. So just as something 
I knew how to do. Um, but yeah, I just thought, you know, also I, I'm a creative person. So it was kind of fun for me. I kind of joke that like my, you know, third grade self would have loved to be a stuffed animal designer. And here I am, um, wasn't what I intended doing, but it was a one way that I felt I could make a significant impact. And also sometimes the um, things that are happening to the elephants are so overwhelming with the abuse and the poaching and all that kind of stuff that it was kind of a light way of, of introducing my cause where it wouldn't be too graphic. And people also, if you're going to buy a gift, why wouldn't you buy a gift that gives back? And I think people love to be, feel like they're part of the movement. So if you can incorporate, you know, whatever you're doing where people feel like they're also helping you make a difference. Cause then everyone can quit their day job and, you know, start their own nonprofit or whatever business. So I think like making sure that your audience feels like they're on the same journey or they're making a difference also is really important. So you were able to marry up your passion, your experience as a, as a creative person, your, your experience with product launches and design in the past and your, um, and your desire to make an impact. Tell us a little bit about how the elephant project works, um, the impact of the stuffed animals and the downstream impact that you've seen on poaching and on conservation efforts? Well, yeah, I, um, you know, the stuffed animals have been great. Like since I started, it's sort of created its own momentum. Um, and I've been able to help um, help them save and rescue hundreds of elephants. Um, I work directly with a couple organizations that I've, you know, vetted. I actually just got back from Thailand where I was with the elephants from a group that I work with really closely called the Elephant Nature Park, where they take elephants that have been abused from riding camps, which is really important that people don't ride elephants because they go through such horrific abuse. Um, so that has been really significant. It was amazing to see all those elephants so happy. I'm so grateful that I get to work with these people who are on the grounds. I really like the people who are doing all the hard work. I mean, they've got these people that have dedicated their whole lives to living in these sanctuaries and helping them. So, um, you know, we send monthly donations to them. And then the Sheltered Wildlife Trust in Africa, who takes elephants that have been poached or um, their mothers have been poached or trophy hunted or whatever. And so it's really important to teach everyone that, you know, they are going to go extinct if we don't do something about it. But I also love to, I get a lot of young kids who write to me saying they started their own elephant project group or it was inspired and um, by watching what I do. And, you know, I am started just by myself and I have a lot of volunteers, but we're all women, which is also, you know, empowering. And I have daughters too. So I wanted them to know that one person could make a difference and that if you're really passionate about something, I tell everyone, like, if you're passionate about something, you can make anything happen because people are like, you're lucky, which I have been lucky, but I also have worked a lot. <laughs> so it's sort of become my full-time job, but I'm so passionate about saving them that I will do whatever I can to help them. So nonprofit leaders who are listening to the podcast, regardless of what um, area that they're working in, whether it's homelessness or the arts or education or climate change, all of them are interested in how do I shift and shape public opinion, right? How do I gather information? How do I educate the community about who we are, the issue that we're addressing, and the changes that we seek to make? So for nonprofit leaders who are listening to the podcast, how have you been able to do that in your career, kind of starting with the education piece? How have you been able to share information about the importance of your mission uh, and the importance of conservation efforts? 
Um, well, I think, you know, I've been really passionate about that. I feel like people like to see someone that's, you know, I mean, there's a lot of sadness and I try not to go down that road where they're like, we can fix this. This isn't too big of a problem. It's not too late. I think providing a lot of hope when it's kind of overwhelming to people. And they think like there's at this point, there's nothing they can do, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I also just talk to everybody because I, you know, knew in the beginning that not everybody's passion was to help elephants, but it was shocking to me how many people actually do want to help. And so like, I would go talk to the schools, I would talk to the local radio places, I tried to do events. So I think trying to include your community as much as possible, I think staying hopeful was really, is really an important um, thing. I actually, there was a, an elephant in the zoo here who had a companion and the companion had died. And she was like almost 70 years old and they were, everyone was like, what are you going to do? You know, even like my kids in the junior high, they're like, what are you going to do? And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I don't know. So I decided to sign a, or start a petition where it was very gentle, where I, you know, it's also political. They're, um, elephants are a commodity for a lot of zoos, obviously in circuses. So I just said, let's urge the Santa Barbara Zoo to send Billy the elephant uh, or I'm sorry, Little Mac, the elephant, that's another elephant captivity, um, to sanctuary. And I shockingly just called the sanctuary. I mean, it's amazing when you think that it's impossible and you just call someone or email them. Like a lot of times people respond. Um, and so I had started this position. I had found a place where she could go. I put it out there to the universe, you know, with really best intentions. It was a very nice petition. I didn't say anything badly about the zoo. And I got over 200,000 signatures in like a day. So I was like, wow, you know, I guess don't assume that everybody is doing something about what you're doing. And also too, you know, the best advice I think I've ever gotten is that um, I saw a friend in the, in the grocery store when I first started, they're like, how's it going? I'm like, I don't really know. I'm just kind of making it up as I go, I think. And he's like, that's what we all do. We're all just making it up as we go along. And I mean, of course there've been failures too. Some things haven't worked out, but I think just trying to stay positive, trying to talk to everybody you can. I literally told everyone I knew about it. And it's shockingly people that you wouldn't even think would be able to help you or have a connection or someone else you could talk to did. So I think it's, you know, being really positive, but also really pushing and working hard in those beginning couple of years. I think the power of hope can't really be underestimated. I, I think giving people generally want to help if they un, if they see I want to make a change or I want this to be different in my community, and they see even through a small step like signing a petition how they can lend their support to creating positive change in their community. I think people are excited to do that. You mentioned social media earlier. Um, you have used and harnessed social media very effectively for um, your conservation efforts and for the Elephant Project. What advice would you give to nonprofit leaders in terms of understanding social media and harnessing it to drive public awareness and to ultimately drive change? Yeah, well, it's really helpful that I have two teenage daughters because they help me a lot. Um, because it is a different, you know, I, I kind of wanted to involve all different generations, you know, a lot like Facebook seems to be a little bit older generation, Instagram is the younger and then TikTok, which I just got on, which is a whole nother beast. But um, I also think just like the simple things like the algorithm of Instagram and how you can get people involved, um, you know, 
also for that, not doing anything too graphic and hopeful and adding music, all that kind of stuff, like is so simple, but it really makes a difference where you're, they, people feel like they're engaging. And also, you know, I just did an, um, a stuffed animal after a baby elephant that's in Thailand that was rescued from chains with her mom. And so that is really fun for um, my audience to follow her journey of hope. So that's another thing that is really important really important, but also like constantly posting too, which is kind of easy. It just is very tedious and takes a long time, but you know, people constantly want to see what's going on or what, you know, what new things you have to do. And also I encourage people to do community events too. It doesn't, you know, a lot of people, like we said before, want to help so you can get your community involved. If you're even just doing getting together at like a town hall and see if someone will donate pizza or whatever, something like that, where people feel like, they're helping you make a difference because I think, you know, we talked about like a lot of people do want to help, but they just need an easy way to do it. So I think you have to kind of make it easy, a little bit fun, like that they're part of community making a difference for whatever cause you're passionate about. Something you said a minute ago on about social media and different platforms really struck a chord with me. And that's understanding the demographics of your supporters. So right. where are, you know, where are those folks who are likely to be reached by your message and maybe tailoring that message to different platforms based on those demographics? I think one of the mistakes organizations sometimes make is taking one message and blasting it out on every single platform they can find instead of tailoring it, as you said, whether it's based on age or whether it's based on interest level or, you know, is this a platform that does better with music and graphics than others? I think that tailoring of the message really helps to increase support um, so it doesn't feel kind of uh, corporate or or cold as, as it comes across. Yeah. And another really good tip, I think, is that um, I have hired and, you know, you can use your community too. a lot of young volunteers from because a lot of volunteers are a lot of high school kids. I know they need volunteer hours. So use that platform for sure. And then there's another platform I use. I, it's in California. I'm in California, but I'm sure it's everywhere. It's called Handshake, where you can get interns through colleges that also need hours and pay them, you know, minimal um, paid or paid internships. And that's been amazing because they are that generation that knows social media. Like, I think trying to do all that yourself, too, where you can find, you know, a lot of volunteers are in or inexpensive labor for someone who just needs internship or experience. That's a huge, um, huge bonus if you're starting your own business, I think, is reaching out to those people that need volunteer hours. And a lot of people just want something to do, too. So I have a lot of, like, my mom's friends who will put the outfits on the stuffed animals. And then, um, you know, my daughter's high school friends who start, you know, their own little elephant project groups in high school and they get community hours, which they need when they're applying for college or whatever. So definitely use all the resources that you can. Another thing you said that that resonated with me was the, the importance of small, actionable steps, you know, particularly on social media where we can be bombarded with, you know, images and messages all day long, the ability to focus on what is the call to action from this particular message? Is there something that I, as an individual person, can do that is going to move the needle or make a difference on this particular cause? Just talk for a minute about the importance of small, actionable steps and giving people something tangible that they can 
that they can do to make a difference in whatever cause they're working on? Yeah, well, I do. Um, I Before COVID, we would do a lot of events where we'd have like, you know, fundraising events. And I felt like that was great for possibly big donations. But I was like, there's more ways that we can get the community involved. And for me, it was like the kids, I feel like are the game changers, because they will see what's going on with these elephants and they will tell their families, we're not going to go to wherever and ride elephants. Like, it's not okay. You know, a lot of times it's harder to make changes when you get older. So um, I was like, let's do something super easy that the kids can do where they can do a jogathon or whatever to help the cause. So I think when you make, sh- when it's not so overwhelming, or if you just say, I need, you know, hundred signatures by today and, or whatever, or can you please you know, repost this and you can win an elephant, whatever, like little things like that, where people feel like they're making a difference is really important. I think like it doesn't have to be this big thing. And I was, and I, like I said before, it doesn't have to be a stuffed animal. Like it can be whatever you're passionate about. You can kind of find ways I think to get everyone involved and get the kids involved. Like kids need volunteer hours and they like to do that. And they have a lot of time. And also, you know, a lot of my mom's friends too are retired and they have a lot of time to do things to help too. So I think, you know, use your resources, go to your community library too. They have a lot of ideas um, here, which I hadn't thought of because I don't go to the library often, but someone said you should go. There's a lot of grants that you could utilize. There's a lot of volunteer resources, you know, sign up sheets, stuff like that. So Christina, as we wrap up, if if folks listening to the podcast want to connect with you directly or learn more about your work through the Elephant Project or your work in you know building advocacy and grassroots campaigns, how can people best get a hold of you? So my website is theelephantproject.com. On Instagram, it's the Elephant Project Official. And you can always email at info at theelephantproject.com too. Christine, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the podcast today. I really appreciate the conversation. Um, For those who are enjoying the podcast, I always encourage you, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, your colleagues about the podcast as we continue to grow this community together. As Christina mentioned early in the conversation, this can be an isolating profession, right? We want to continue to build community, continue to build ways for leaders to build relationships and connect with each other. Christina, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And for everybody on the podcast, stay safe, stay well, and we'll be back soon with another episode.